1: Hi, I'm Anand Patel. And I'm Naomi Sheldon. And we're your hosts of The Pleasure Podcast. I'm a doctor specialising in sexual function.
2: And I'm an actor-writer with an interest in the intimate. We want to fill the gap in the nation's sex and relationship education through interviewing guests on how we relate to our bodies when it comes to sex, identity and, of course, pleasure.
1: Welcome to Season 4.
2: We're kicking off with a mini-series on parenthood, I'm pregnant with twins and finding mainstream narratives about pregnancy and motherhood pretty narrow. Where are the stories about trans people giving birth? What about the choice to be child-free? And what exactly does a doula do? I want to open up the stories we hear at these pivotal points in our lives.
1: As a GP, I have rather too short conversations with people at these defining moments. This was an opportunity to discuss the decision to get pregnant, to try again after miscarriage To challenge how the society you brought your child into would treat them and you, and have a deeper look at the way our health system handles pregnancy and motherhood as a whole.
2: This is by no means an exhaustive set of interviews, but we hope it's a bold start. Next week, we'll be returning to business as usual, but for now, it's the finale of the Pleasure Podcast mini series on parenthood, and we are thrilled to welcome doctor and sexual function specialist Janine David to speak to us about sex and sexuality in pregnancy.
1: Janine is a GP working in Porthcawl, Wales, who specialises in men and women's sexual health. Janine is a regular speaker on the national and international stage and is actively involved in clinical research.
2: She's the only GP in Wales to be a fellow of the European Committee of Sexual Medicine. That's the highest qualification you can achieve in this field. She's also a mother and believes that your identity as a sexual being shouldn't stop when motherhood begins.
1: We speak practically about the importance of masturbation, how to make sex more comfortable in the later stages, And how, sadly, semen isn't going to stimulate labour, but orgasms serve to keep you together.
2: It's a frank conversation about relishing the changes in pregnant bodies, maintaining intimacy and retaining your sexual identity in this monumentally transitional and transformative stage of life. Do you find that when pregnant people come into your clinic that they have questions about their libido, about sex... Early on in their pregnancy, or further down
3: the line, I don't know that they will come in to see us about it. They probably go and see a midwife, but I don't know whether midwives actually talk about it. And I don't think women realise what happens to them with respect to libido and sex during pregnancy because I, I, it's probably not really addressed. I mean, you, you know, you're pregnant now, aren't you Naomi, so maybe. They do these days, but they certainly didn't at all when I was pregnant. No, they don't. No one mentioned it. (laughs) And you just think, oh, and you don't really know what's happening to your body as it is. Never mind your sex drive. And we know, well, initially your libido will probably start to go up. But then also you've got this hormone called HCG, which goes up and makes you feel absolutely horrific and sick and tired and the last thing you probably want to do is have sex but you've got that going on and then at the same time you've got all your estrogen going up and that will increase your libido and you think well which is going to take over and you don't really know and I think it, it's all unique isn't it It's an individual thing hormones and pregnancy and it affects probably every pregnancy is different and there are lots of myths around it aren't there you know with people thinking oh should we be having sex is it going to damage the baby this sort of thing I think men really worry about that as well. And we don't realise... You know, about 80% of men will worry about having sex, thinking their penis is going to hit the baby or their sperm is going to go into the baby or something crazy. But I think they do have these worries, and understandably, because they don't understand the anatomy. So perhaps it would be good if we could like reassure people with that as well.
2: And is there any risk of having sex when, when while pregnant?
3: Well, if you've got a normal pregnancy, then... There shouldn't really be any risk at all. And there are positions and stuff that you could perhaps do that would make you feel a bit more reassured. And we can talk perhaps a bit more about that if you like. And then towards the end of pregnancy, you know, everyone says, don't they... When you want to have a baby, make sure you drink raspberry leaf tea, have curries and have lots of sex, and then that'll bring on the baby. But that isn't actually true. And there's been lots of research done with this, and having sex doesn't bring on the baby. Yes,
2: I'm still being told that today, that having sex will will encourage you to go into labour.
3: You will get, you try contractions when you orgasm, but that happens when you're not pregnant. But they're different from the contractions that happen when you deliver
2: so that leads me on to asking this actually about masturbation and orgasm yeah tell me more about what are the benefits or drawbacks whilst pregnant
3: it's really important to try and maintain some sort of sexuality and sex with your partner during pregnancy because orgasms are great for you they'll relax you they'll release oxytocin which will help you bond with your partner um, if you're more relaxed, the baby's going to be more relaxed and everyone's going to be happier, and maintaining that intimacy through pregnancy is important and it's not you know it's not wholly about sex and you don't just have to have an orgasm
1: and we've talked a lot i think about a sort of out of course versus intercourse and i think intercourse isn't generally an issue unless you've got for example a particularly low-lying placenta right. or something like that
3: i mean i think on the whole we're thinking about relatively normal pregnancies unless you've got an, uh, something wrong with your cervix something um you know you've got yeah your placenta lying over the cervix then yeah you wouldn't want to have intercourse you wouldn't want to use sex toys
1: so when you've had your scan, they will have an idea of where the placenta sits. And if the placenta sits too near the neck of the cervix, it won't come into contact with the penis exactly, but actually the thrusting of the penis is closer to the blood vessels. And what you don't want to do is obviously disrupt the placenta, which feeds the baby, or the blood vessels going to the baby. So if they're very low-lying, which is called placenta previa, often your, your midwife will tell you that, or in your scan report, it will say your placenta is low-lying... And therefore, that's when you might need to consider being careful about penetrative sex and about using sex toys.
2: But I had understood that placenta is often low-lying at the beginning of pregnancy.
1: So the majority aren't low-lying, but they can be lower and then they move up in later pregnancy. So you might get told initially, oh, be wary of penetrative sex. And then later on, they do the second scan at 20 weeks and go, Oh, oh, by the way, your placenta's moved nicely out the way. So you don't need to worry about that so much. So it is taken in stages. Yes. And the scans are really important because they're not just about saying, "Oh, here's a nice picture of a baby." They're also looking at, you know, abnormalities. Unfortunately, and they're also checking on how many there are. You know, and, and that was that was an issue for you. You found two. Exactly, it was. Yes. <laughs> and I think you'd be
2: warned,
3: wouldn't you, at this point that you shouldn't be having intercourse. Yes,
2: yeah.
1: Yes. And if you've had previous miscarriages, for example, they may explain to you that actually it's due to a weakness of the cervix. Yes. And if you've got cervical incompetence, that means there is a weakness there, and they may put a stitch in to hold the cervix close. Closed.
2: cervical incompetence I hate I know. that language it's terrible
3: it's like oh you pathetic cervix you yeah it's <laughs>
1: dreadful but it's an amazingly sort of um uh practical sort of physical treatment because if if the neck of the womb is too weak to hold itself closed well you put a little stitch in to hold mm-hmm. it closed and then actually as pregnancy progresses then you can cut that stitch so actually the baby is then ready to to, to come out
3: yes people worry in the first trimester that sex is going to cause a miscarriage, don't they, I think? You know, I think especially men. And that's that's a myth that I think we should dispel, really. Because that's not the case on a normal pregnancy.
1: But I think it's particularly important to say that when women are aroused, their cervix and womb lifts up out of the way of the vaginal canal. But if a woman is not aroused, it's more likely that her cervix is going to be within the vaginal canal, and therefore you're more likely to hit it, which might make sex more uncomfortable.
3: Yeah, especially at this point, you know, you get all the hormones that... Blood goes to the cervix and the vagina and so the cervix can be more tender in pregnancy. So, you know, if you are bumping it with a penis or a dildo, whatever, if you are banging it, it can be much more painful um, sexually in pregnancy.
2: That's interesting what you're saying about blood rushing to the vagina. I noticed that my vulva changed quite a bit during pregnancy, yeah. and so, so did my husband. Um, he he noticed, and I did, that it was a lot plumper and firmer. Everything was a yeah. lot firmer. Um, and I was wondering what, what that's about, but it sounds like it's to do with the blood. Yes,
3: yeah, so it'll be due to your oestrogen levels will have increased, so you'll get um, an increase in blood flow to the vulva and that will make it, they love this word engorgement which is horrible oh. isn't it i <laughs> <laughs> engorgement an engorged vulva i know you have an engorged vulva now so <laughs> i think so you get this engorgement you'll probably get increased secretions on the whole as well so you feel wetter um so in a way sex can be better in pregnancy because you've got more blood flow to the vulva and the clitoris so that could be more sensitive so for some people that'll be great because they'll be reach orgasm quicker but for others it'll be slightly more tender painful so you have to go slower
2: it's interesting this idea isn't it of um not being frightened of having sex with your partner when you're pregnant because of you know causing miscarriage or bumping the baby or, or the cervix but also there is a lot of pressure, I think, on the couple generally when people are pregnant. It can be a time of anxiety, especially in those first 12 weeks, because you think, yeah. um, you know, I am a higher risk of miscarriage at this point and, you know, the sickness, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a myriad of reasons why relationships might be under strain in that, especially first trimester. And so I wonder if, I, I certainly found that masturbation was like, was super important <laughs> rather than sex with my partner um but also partly because of anxiety which was relieved by masturbation but also because about who a sense of who I was as a as a woman as a sexual being um I think that as your body starts to change in different ways breasts growing but becoming very very sore and Mm. you know the nipples and you don't necessarily want them touched actually at Mm. that point even though you've got the tits that you've always wanted for the first time (laughs) in your life (laughs) yeah that is
3: the great thing
2: (laughs) (laughs) and then and then you know your tummy growing I found it very very hard to marry those changes with the uh, libido surge that I was getting so actually masturbation was sort of the only way I felt like I could Sort of self soothe or be um, be a, that sexual being again and and comfort myself that I still was that sexual being. Whereas th- those physical changes felt um, discombobulating and uh, for me and and I, and I think my partner a little bit like who are we now? How, how do we continue now that our bodies are changing and our identities are changing?
3: Um, with your partner, would he sort of offer to do masturbation for with you as well? You know, oral sex or whatever, and would that have been of help to you sort of thing or did you feel no I wanted to do this on my own or
2: well I felt yeah I I, I, it was something that I felt I had to do on my own actually about my own sense of self I think it was like a journey about who I am to me that was really important
1: I think masturbation is really important as an element of self-care yeah, it's you time <laughs> in yeah. the best sense of it, and it's you enjoying your body in whatever way you want to enjoy it, and you know, masturbating and enjoying pleasure and getting an orgasm at the end, which soothes you and relaxes you, and you know, and it, obviously if, if you're pregnant during the time of coronavirus, that that's quite stressful as well. <laughs> yes. um you know, you're not being able to see necessarily see the number of doctors you would normally see, you're not getting necessarily face to face midwife care, so it just feels a lot more on your own, and you're in your four walls, and that can make it even more stressful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, going understand why that self-soothing would be important and necessary but there's, there's one part of it well you're doing it on your own but that can sometimes exclude the other partner
2: yeah did he feel excluded or was he okay i think it was really tricky at first actually about trying to negotiate this new relationship and um it was very emotional it was really tough and emotional and when we did try to start having sex again i found it very difficult because I, again, couldn't marry who I was anymore with what, with what I wanted. I, I think I was having a crisis of, 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 of identity, actually. And like, what kind of sex did I want? How did I want to be touched? I felt a bit self-conscious about my belly about my breasts Mm. about uh, and um it was hard for both of us because i didn't have the language yet to describe that that experience to him and explain so actually he just felt rejected rather Mm. than being able to say look i i don't know how i want to be touched anymore because this is a new body
3: yeah (laughs) this is true yeah i think you have to accept that it is new and it's never going to be the same again (laughs) and then change how you are and change your relationships to adapt to it
1: I think that's very stressful for some relationships. The early part of pregnancy and well the entirety of pregnancy actually the first year after delivery can be a, a time where actually relationships break down, not necessarily permanently but actually they can break down for a period of time because you know, there's the stress of bodies changing there's an anxiety of, of pregnancy and what's going to come after as you said already the identity of who are you if you are a you know thinking in your head that you are this young, vibrant, exciting person, and pregnancy and motherhood or fatherhood doesn't quite fit with what your view of that is. Because, you know, yeah. fatherhood is my dad or fatherhood is my mum. You know, it, it, it's middle age or it's whatever that means to you. Mm-hmm. Then actually that can be quite challenging in itself. It's a loss of my youth, a loss of the vibrancy. Of- and yeah. I can imagine it's incredibly challenging for all parties within it.
2: Yeah, like I had a, a close friend say to me, uh, so I've, I've been on a bit of a queer journey <laughs> um, over uh, <laughs> the past, I don't know how many years. Um, But she asked me when she found out that I was pregnant, So what's going to happen with that now then? Is that it then? Is that over now? And... I felt very defensive, I felt like, no, is that really the perception that me as a sexual being, somebody who evolves, who changes, whose tastes are still to be explored, ends now with pregnancy? Is is, is this it no. now? <laughs> I th- yeah. And I think that's a real fallacy, you know. Yeah. That, that no, because
3: life goes on, doesn't it? And you have the child and yeah, you may feel a bit rubbish and knackered for a little bit after, but then they grow up and you're still a person and a sexual person and... And, yeah, this goes on. So I don't think you lose it. Yeah. You, it just changes. Yeah, and it, it's, it's a, like a wave, isn't it? It changes at different times during the pregnancy and after the pregnancy.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.
2: During pregnancy, how would you advise people to maintain intimacy with their partners if they're struggling?
3: Yeah, if they're struggling and intercourse isn't an option, I think it's still important to maintain the intimacy. You know, and, and I think the man can feel quite stressed during pregnancy. You know, they're nervous about doing it in the first bit and then they're nervous towards the end because you are got this huge belly and they don't want to damage the baby and they probably feel this, they need to look after you. And then if you're looking after someone does that make you feel sexual towards them i don't know mm. it, it changes doesn't it and so if you're not having the sex bit which is fine um yeah it's important to do intimacy things like being together like sitting together holding hands massage all this sort of thing and there's plenty of ways to do that i suppose for women to want sex they need to feel desired as well don't they and you know your body changes so much maybe you lose a bit of the you know you're not so sexy anymore I think it's changing and you know you can get loads of sexy clothes now for pregnancy can't you you can get sexy-ish underwear and stuff during pregnancy and clothes and so you can do it but it's you do change don't you Yes. I think
1: it does require a bit more thought that's all, I think being, just being prepared that things will not necessarily be the same but that's okay, yeah. and being ready for the evolution You know, if you, if you have been able to have conversations about what sort of sex you want, hopefully you can have conversations about the type of intimacy you want, because as you say, as oestrogen levels changes, the, your uh, skin sensitivity changes. Oh really? So people after the menopause often find that actually their skin sensitivity is changed significantly and so the sexual scripts that you've been writing So the, I mean, most people recognise in a long term relationship how to have a quickie they get the idea of 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 having sex uh in a certain way gets the person off in the shortest amount of time possible and if you're doing that and then you have the menopause and actually your skin sensitivity changes and the back of your arm or the back of your neck or the back of your uh, buttocks being stroked which was previously very exciting is now actually really irritating or overly sensitive or doesn't feel like anything it's quite difficult to tell your partner you know that thing that you used to do that really worked it doesn't work at all anymore Mm because uh, it can come off as, as quite challenging for that person, going, you know, I, am I a bad lover now? Is, is that the problem? Whereas actually, it's, you know, your body has changed, so just relearn that landscape. It's, it's about a new uh, period of exploration, and that can be quite exciting if you sell it the right way.
3: After you've had the baby, your oestrogen dips, and it's almost like you're having a mini-menopause, especially if you're breastfeeding, because you, something called prolactin will increase, and you will get this almost like a mini-menopause post-delivery, where wow. everything becomes a bit drier and like annan said yeah your skin changes and so at that point it's nature's way isn't it of saying don't have another baby at the minute because you need to focus on this one (sighs) so it kind of puts you into that sort of almost menopausal state for a bit and then you may not feel like it and yes sex is going to feel different again and of course you've just had a baby so you've had all the changes that happen after that so it might smart a bit for a few weeks.
2: Do you think that there is a reason, a sort of biological evolutionary reason, why libido can go up during pregnancy, and especially in that second trimester?
3: Yeah, you've got to wonder, is it to try and keep the couple together?
2: Mm. You think,
3: yeah, it, you know, you're going to have this baby, nature's going to want you to stay together, so... Yeah, make sure you keep that intimacy, keep having sex. Because you don't need it to have a baby anymore, do you? Because you've already got the baby. So I'm sure it must be something to do with keeping the couple together is why it does that. And then afterwards, I suppose it must be just because they don't want you to have another baby initially. um,
1: They. Nature, not they. (laughs) The gods. (laughs) They. (laughs) Who are these beings? Yes. But also also in men, I understand that testosterone levels dips during pregnancy. Really? And during the That's short... interesting. Yeah.
2: Okay.
1: So it can dip during pregnancy and the short period after pregnancy. The idea being that actually he will not be running off um, to try and impregnate someone else and will be there to help support this very frail, weak baby. Yes. You know, this is a situation where actually the baby's at risk um yes. from predators and then we'll need feeding etc so all the focus needs to be on the baby there's the, a the, real the primacy of baby and that's often why when people have delivered the mother becomes understandably very focused on the baby because the, the cries of the baby are very much hardwired into the brain it's very difficult to to ignore a baby shriek particularly if you're their mother because it's it's basically organized so that actually this is a fire alarm going off in my head i'm not going to sleep through this and unfortunately men can then feel that their partner's turning away from them mm. And that is actually true in some ways because they're now getting their intimacy from somewhere else. Mm. They're getting their cuddles, they're getting their oxytocin release from the baby.
2: And and do do male partners not get um, that oxytocin release?
1: Not to the same degree, I don't think, and I think I mean they do get some of you know they, they do bond with their child, don't get me wrong, but the issue is because they are used to getting that connection and intimacy from their partner and their partner is now getting because so, some, sometimes people have sex for lots of reasons, don't they but one of the reasons they have sex is to feel closer to someone else. but actually you can feel closer to someone else without having sex with them yeah. and so actually if you are if a mum and have a baby and are cuddling that baby, you may get all of that cuddles and intimacy that that actually went for sex for, yeah. so you stop wanting the sex anymore. And that can be really challenging as well.
2: Would you um, suggest any um, particular positions that would be comfortable for people in their maybe second, third trimester who are finding it harder to move around? And also, you know, when you've got this big bump, there's nothing yeah. quite as alarming, I find, as if you're trying to be sexual and then you get a hell of a load of kicks and you just realise, oh. oh, there's four of us. Well, for, for me, because of, I've yeah. got twins, but or there's, there's <laughs> yeah. four of us in this Loads bed. Of you in there. <laughs> It's four
3: yeah, in the bed. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it, towards the end because you're so big. And yeah, you, you can't lie flat on your back because you'll it squish is. a big blood vessel. So it's dangerous to lie flat on your back. You shouldn't really be doing that. So missionary is out. Um, probably your best bet towards the end is spooning and pillows. Really make use of pillows at this point. So you can either do on your side, you can tilt your pelvis up a bit with a pillow so then you haven't got any weight then going on the side or the back. So that's a good one to be doing at this point. You could sit at the end of a table and as long as you've got a fairly strong partner, well, they don't have to be that strong. And then, you know, you can have your legs spread, if you will, um, balanced at the end of the table or a chair or the bed, and then they can be opposite you. You know, you've got easy access, so to speak. Yeah, So you can look at doing that. In the second, it's not so bad when you're not so huge. Probably things like doggy style, that sort of thing, would be good then because then you've got easy breast access, your belly's not too big, or woman on top because then you can control how deep you go penetrative-wise. Yes. And I suppose, rever- what's it, reverse cowgirl, isn't it? Oh, That's yes. what they call it. <laughs> reverse cowgirl. You could do that perhaps towards the end because then you haven't got a belly in someone's face. So you're facing the other way so you- and you can control... How deep you go,
1: then. But also, the spinning thing allows you to also change depth of penetration. And so that can be more comfortable for some people. Because if you've got a very engorged vulva and actually it's more uncomfortable, um, then it just d- does allow you to change that. Um, you can have sort of intracrural sex, which is where you put your thighs together. So actually, it, it creates more of a spacer. So actually, it's just the head of the penis then that's entering the vagina from behind. What did you um, call so that? Intracrural. Uh, Inter- this just the cruella, the cruella is the space between your thighs.
3: And then you can still use little, you know, bullet vibrators and stuff if you need yeah. to or want to as well, can't you? So yes. that can help. I tell you what can help, so I had one of these, did you, have you had one of these? They're like these sort of um, crescent-shaped pillows that you have for when you're breastfeeding. Yes. But if you had it as an early present, you could um, use that as well for support and... In front. To fit in front and to fit into, yeah. that's quite, yeah. They're quite good as... Um, sex pillows,
2: but don't,
3: huh? don't tell the baby after that no. it's a
2: sex pillow. <laughs> if this pillow could talk.
3: Yeah, it's a sex pillow. Oh, no, no, it's the nursing pillow now.
1: <laughs> if you are a couple that has previously been used to just the two of you, how do you manage a relationship and a sexual identity when there is actually now someone you need to care for?
3: Yeah, this is really difficult, isn't it? Because all your energy goes into this other person and you do not have the same for each other and you think where are you going to have time for sex amongst all this because you've got this all-encompassing creature that you're looking after at all times so there is no gap um so I think you have to try and make a little bit of time it's difficult but even perhaps you know with the baby naps of an afternoon and I think you have to change your sex life to think we're not going to have long drawn out passionate nights we are going to go for the quickies Because that is what you can do at that point. And this is where your sex life changes. And you think, okay, um, we can't worry too much about it. We know what gets each other off, hopefully. And we just have to fit in the odd quickie here and there where we can. And afternoon napping is good. And if you're quick, then you can have a quickie and a nap. Because you do need a little nap.
2: We've talked about vaginal deliveries a little bit. And how that might affect people um, post-birth and their uh, libido and their relationship with a with a partner.
1: But what about if they have um, C-sections? So I think the C-sections, it's a significant abdominal operation. And I think people forget that you are incising, so cutting through the lower abdominal muscles to get through an area just above the bladder. And you are then making a cut through the wall of the, of the womb and taking the babies out of it and then sewing it all back closed again. Now, it's a relatively simple operation that doesn't take very long. And in most times it's very successful without you know, uh, significant complications. But you are doing an operation that has cut through your lower tummy muscles. So it actually means you can't necessarily lift things very easily for a while. For up to six weeks, you're going to have difficulty perhaps lifting your baby sometimes. Because if you can imagine the muscles that you have to use to lift something from a cot or something, that will require you doing a little tummy crunch to do it. And in doing so, that might cause you some pain. And if you're in pain, sex is going to be less interesting for you usually. And also the nerves will grow back and are they going to grow back at the same rate? Is it going to take a little while for it to stop being numb? Will it be a bit hypersensitive to start with? Will that settle down? You know, we don't know. And so everyone's sex life after the delivery is, is different. And I've got some patients who come in and they go, well, we've already had sex. And you're like, oh, okay. How was that? And they're like, well, it's fine. Um, or it was a bit sore or, and, was, and, you know, and sometimes the woman sits back and kind of goes, I don't want to, you know, you kind of see from their face, please don't encourage them to have sex with me at the moment. I do think that some relationships don't necessarily have the ability to talk about it to that extent. Go, yeah. actually, my body does not feel ready for this now. And, you know, permission and full consent hasn't really been sought for it. Yeah. There's kind of the expectation that we'll just get back and have sex now, won't we? And you're like, well, actually, you may, if you've had. A tear, if you've had a, been sewn, if you know, if you've had an operation, uh, you know, if you just had a baby, you know, you, you have actually stretched your muscles and your pelvic floor. It will take time to come back together, and, and in most cases, it will do absolutely fine. And that's the thing to say. When should you start taking contraception again?
3: Well, you have to. It's best not to have sex for the first six weeks anyway, because um, everything's still a bit sore and bleeding, and you know, depends on what you had. Um, and if you're breastfeeding, then you are fairly safe with respect to contraception because that is protective. Protective.
2: Really? Because I thought that that was uh, an old wives' tale.
3: No, you have to be careful, but it's not bad contraception. Again, that's nature, isn't it? But you can start the progesterone-only pill
1: then after six weeks. So basically, if you're breastfeeding, it gives you approximately 90% coverage for the first six months. That would mean that 10 in 100 women using that method of contraception will get pregnant in a year. Mm. Whereas, if you, Which is still reasonably high for some people, so I wouldn't recommend it's the yeah. only thing you're doing. <laughs> I don't want to um, miss them. <laughs> no, exactly. So that's why we generally, at the six-week check, where we would meet up with you and your baby, we would discuss through, you know, one, how your mood is and how your physical state is, but also what your plans for sex and contraception mm. And one of those conversations would be, right, well, if you're breastfeeding, you can only have certain types of contraception. If you're not breastfeeding, you've got more options. Because you don't want to be giving necessarily um, sort of uh, women's hormones through the breast milk. Right. So it's, it's just trying to make sure that you're giving the most appropriate type of hormone to the stage, really.
2: Yes. But
3: at this point, you may still not feel like it.
2: Do people feel a lot of pressure to start having sex again? Do you get people asking about that a lot?
3: Yeah, men. Men ask about it. Do they? Yeah, I think they think, come on now, we ought to be doing it. But I think men have got to be patient with this. And it's got to be woman-led, really. Because, you know, your body has been through an awful lot. And you don't get your pre-baby body back straight away. Uh, That was a myth that I didn't realise, even though I'm a doctor, I should have. But I remember having a baby and then thinking, oh, God, I thought it would just go completely back to normal. But it doesn't. It takes ages to go back to normal. And you can't be too harsh on yourself. Um, it is what it is. You know, it's going to take time and you may not feel like it for some time. Yeah, there is pressure to um, get back. You know, celebrities put you under pressure, don't they? Because you see all these pictures of women who've had babies and next thing, they're in the gym two weeks later with a flat stomach and that puts pressure on people. But that's not real. I think perhaps you have to be open with your partner as well because maybe you don't feel quite as sexy as you used to you need the man to look at you that way again so you need to perhaps make sure this communication is good between the two of you about all these issues after to re-establish your sexuality.
2: I wish there was a way of finding the changing body from the first few weeks of pregnancy right up until the end and beyond Uh, sexy and desirable to welcome in and accept and adore the changing statue so to speak of that form rather than always having this very harsh measuring stick of that pre-baby body or of the images that we're, we're sold which are sexy like there was nothing sexier than when Um, My husband was kissing my my belly and my thighs, and me realizing it wasn't about the babies at that point. It was about it was just about me as as a, a quite sort of a strong kind of pregnant sexual being at that point, and and it was such a relief to know that oh, actually. it can coexist. I keep thinking about this kind of the Madonna whore trope and how you can never encompass the two (laughs) and and that maybe that there could be a way, if there could be a way of encompassing them both, we would feel so much better about not only our bodies but about childbirth, about motherhood as a a whole. (laughs) Yeah I, I, I think we should,
3: I think we should embrace it though and think okay we're curvier now it makes for a change i think we have to empower ourselves and embrace it
1: i think there's lots of stories being told that are about you need to get your pre-pregnancy body or you need to get your revenge body or your body has to in some way win and you're (laughs) thinking actually if we tell the stories that each of these people are warriors at all stages that each of them are valid and beautiful and extraordinary. And part of the thing I get really excited is about recognising the body changes that have to happen for you to get pregnant and be pregnant and deliver. And these are so phenomenal and they are so extraordinary that them on their own should be enough to to just value the person that has gone through this. And that person should be considered sexy and extraordinary as a result of that. Mm
3: -hmm. Women during pregnancy should feel empowered and think it's amazing what's happening to my body you know, look at yourself, look at yourself in the mirror and look at the changes and embrace them rather than think of them negatively. Have positive attitudes, right? Look, you know, there's pros and cons to all these bits. But, you know, when your belly is so stretched, the skin is so smooth, it's amazing. There's loads of amazing bits. And yeah, just embrace the curves and think this is novel. It's, it's me, it's my body. And because it, I've done an
2: amazing thing. Thank you for listening to The Pleasure Podcast
1: you enjoy this do share review and subscribe on itunes
2: it really does help other people find us and helps to give the series a boost please do give us five stars
1: thank you to Acast for hosting us
2: matt peaver for editing us ollie birch for the music
1: gilad visotsky for the graphics
2: join us next time when we interview another guest for their insights on the relationship we have to our bodies sex and of course
1: pleasure Pleasure.